Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D, and today I'll be covering the case of Chelsea Small in Taylor, Michigan. Let's get right to it. Known by the locals as Taylor Tucky, Taylor, Michigan is a piece of country right there outside of Detroit. It got its nickname from the number of Kentuckians who migrated to the city of Detroit for work and made their home in Taylor. It's made up of mostly blue-collar workers and, according to Urban Dictionary, in Taylor and surrounding neighborhoods, red trucks and Copenhagen snuff are the way of life. And yeah, I know, Urban Dictionary isn't exactly a reliable source. But sometimes it hits the nail on the head, and in this case, after speaking to a local, it seems it does. It's not exactly what you would expect from a town so close to Detroit, but you'd be surprised how rural things can get just outside the city limits. Taylor is located in the downriver area of metropolitan Detroit, a section that is south of Dearborn, north of Monroe, west of the Detroit River, and just east of the Detroit Metropolitan Airport. Despite its down-home feel, Taylor is a pretty good-sized city. It has a population of about 60,000, and according to Neighborhood Scout and City Data, for a city of its size across the U.S., Taylor has about an average crime rate. But when compared to all other cities in the state of Michigan, when it comes to violent crime, Taylor's rate is slightly higher. The city has a couple of slogans, according to their website, and one of them is that all roads lead to Taylor. And that's pretty accurate. I-94 runs through the north, I-75 through the southeast corner, and US-24, or Telegraph Road, runs straight through the center. Taylor is also blocks away from access to the Southfield Freeway. All that just to say, if you're looking for a quick escape, there are plenty of roads that can get you out of town real quick and in a hurry, in practically any direction, especially if you're in the vicinity of Telegraph Road. According to MichiganHighways.org, Telegraph Road, or US-24, is roughly 78 miles long. It begins in Toledo, Ohio, and runs northeast through Taylor, straight north to Dearborn, and ends on Dixie Highway in Waterford Township. The six-mile stretch of Telegraph Road running through Taylor is home to plenty of restaurants, shops, and all the things, and it is actually home to the original Hungry Howie's location. A little fun fact. According to ExploreTaylor.com, Hungry Howie's became a thing in 1973 when Jim Hearn converted a 1,000-square-foot burger shack, formerly known as TikTok Hamburgers, into a carry-out and delivery pizzeria. Steve Jackson was his pizza delivery man and the two later became business partners and built the empire that became Hungry Howie's. Y'all remember when Hungry Howie's used to have the best buffet in town? I still dream of chocolate pizza or that apple one. They need to bring that back like yesterday. Anyhow, in 2013, there was a Hungry Howie's at 8229 Telegraph Road, alongside an Advance America Cash Advance and a T-Mobile. Present day, only the Hungry Howie's still remains. The Advance America is now a Jackson Hewitt and the T-Mobile Avets office. I can't tell you why the T-Mobile shut down. 
But the Advance America Cash Advance store was the scene for one of the most callous and horrific murders in Taylor's history. A murder that despite being captured on video surveillance is still unsolved today. The murder of 30-year-old mom of two, Chelsea Small. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. For the longest time, my 12-year-old daughter begged for a debit card. She wanted to be able to order things online and have a way to track her spending. And for the longest time, I put it off. Our bank has age restrictions and I couldn't find a money app I felt comfortable giving her access to or one that she could access from her phone. We take our kids' online security seriously. So she has a Trumi phone and her phone only allows her to access apps that are secured and safe. Well, let me just tell you, that alone crossed most of the money apps off the list. I mean, what's the point if she's not able to access the app from her phone? And so I just kept putting it off. That was until this past Christmas when she made her list. A debit card was literally at the top in bold and all caps. I mean, Santa wasn't going to let her down. So I got serious about finding a money app with a debit card that she would love and I would feel comfortable with. I searched and searched and searched some more, and then I found Greenlight, and I am so glad I did. She was excited to find her very own debit card in her stocking on Christmas morning, and it ended up being her absolute favorite gift. After the excitement wore off, we were able to sit down and have a serious talk about spending and saving. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made for families. We're able to send instant money transfers, get real-time notifications of spending, and even manage chores and automate allowance all in the app. No more running to the ATM to get the cash to pay her for her weekly chores. We're able to reward her instantly for a job well done. Having her own card and being able to access her transactions all on her own has helped her build financial literacy and independence. She's learning to earn, save, and spend wisely. Just the other day, she told me that coffee was not in her budget this week. The Greenlight app also comes with games that teach kids money skills in a fun and memorable way. More than 6 million parents and kids use Greenlight to learn how to make responsible financial choices. When Greenlight reached out to partner with the show, I can't tell you how excited I was because we love it that much. She is so happy to feel in control over her own finances and I'm ecstatic to have a safe, secure app that teaches her along the way. Start putting your kids on the right path. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash least. That's greenlight.com slash least to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash least. Chelsea Ann Small was born in Rockwood, Michigan on August 9, 1983. She was described by those who knew and loved her as funny, vibrant, the life of the party, and an upbeat person that people just flocked to. According to NBC News, around 2002, when Chelsea was 19, she met and fell in love with a man named Rick. They got a house in Taylor and had two children together, a daughter and a son. For a while, it seemed things were great, but 10 years into the relationship, Chelsea and Rick separated. Chelsea and the kids moved out of the house and in with her sister, Tiffany. 
Rick recalled to NBC that though they weren't together, they remained a team when it came to the kids. They had family functions together and put whatever issues they had in the relationship aside to focus on their children. According to Rick, there was even some talk of reconciliation. But by the fall of 2013, it seemed Chelsea was laser-focused on being the best mom she could be and continuing her education. Her sister Tiffany recalled that she had always looked up to Chelsea, but even more so as they got older. Chelsea was raising her two kids, attending Wayne County Community College to become a physical therapist, and working full-time at the local Advanced America Cash Advance Center to pay for her schooling and put food on the table. The Advanced America was a payday loan company that provided fast cash with short-term loans through credit card advances, paycheck advances, and payday loans. For Chelsea, this wasn't some long-time career plan. It was a job to get her through to the next stage in life. But she worked hard and took her responsibilities at work seriously. Tuesday, November 12, 2013 was Chelsea's son's fifth birthday, and it was supposed to be her day off. However, she had swapped shifts with a co-worker so that she could celebrate with her son over the weekend. By 10 a.m. that Tuesday, she was at work and she was slightly annoyed. According to her mom, Debbie, as she spoke to True Crime Daily, Chelsea called her at about 10.30 that morning, upset about things that had been dumped on her at work. Chelsea told her mom she was running to the bank to do the deposit. They got off the phone and Chelsea made the deposit and went back to work. She was the only one working at that location that day. Approximately 90 minutes after Debbie spoke to her daughter, she got a call from a family friend who also worked for Advance America. The friend told her that she had heard something was wrong at Chelsea's location. Debbie got into her car and sped towards Advance America, calling Chelsea on the way. But Chelsea never picked up, and before Debbie could reach Chelsea's work, the Taylor police called and told her she needed to get to the station right away. Taylor police also called Chelsea's sister Tiffany. Her family made it to the police station and were informed that Chelsea had been shot and killed at the Advance America roughly 90 minutes after she had spoken to her mom on the phone. Chelsea Small had been murdered in cold blood on her son's fifth birthday. Her family was absolutely devastated. How could something like this happen to their Chelsea and why? As her family reeled from the news, the Taylor Police Department got to work. According to Taylor Police Detective Eric Jones, authorities were alerted that day that something was wrong at 12.01 p.m. after they received an alert from a silent panic button at Chelsea's office. They responded to the scene and found 30-year-old Chelsea Small deceased behind the counter. The Advance America was equipped with a surveillance system, and when footage was pulled, investigators watched Chelsea's last moments on Earth in horror. There was no audio but the video captured Chelsea sitting at her desk behind the counter. At approximately noon, she buzzed a man into the store. You see, even during business hours, the doors to the payday loan location remained locked and in order for a customer to get in the building, they had to be buzzed in by an employee. This was a check cashing and payday loan place, and where there's check cashing and loans, there's generally cash, obviously making it a soft target for a robbery. And let's be real, a quick cash loan place like this has the potential to attract some unsavory characters. 
I'm not talking about everybody who comes in. Hell, back in my younger years, I used a payday loan place when I was in a pinch. And I'm sure plenty of hardworking people who just so happen to find themselves in between a rock and a hard place and need cash quick use the services. But there's a mixed bag of people walking through those doors, which is why there's a need for a buzzer system in the first place. It's up to the employee to let people in, so if they notice anything off, they can deny entry and trigger a silent alarm. The man appeared at Chelsea's door at approximately noon. He was wearing what looked like some type of work uniform, a dark navy blue long sleeve shirt with a white undershirt, black pants, what appeared to be camel-colored work boots, and a dark-colored cap with some sort of emblem on the front. Chelsea was seated behind the counter at the space furthest to the left. After a quick glance at the man, she buzzed him in. As soon as he walked through the door, it appears words were exchanged, though we don't know what was said since there's no audio. But whatever the man said, or maybe Chelsea saw something that alarmed her, she triggered the silent alarm at 12.01 p.m. Seconds later, the man pulled out a gun and shot Chelsea Small in the chest. He then walked behind the counter, stood over her, and shot her again in the head. He calmly walked around the store, opening cabinets and drawers, taking less than $250 in cash from the register. He put the gun back in a drawstring-type bag he was carrying. 60 seconds after he walked through the door, he walked back out. In the span of a minute, Chelsea Small's life ended, and the lives of so many were shattered in an instant. It all happened so fast. Remember, it was noon on Telegraph Road. It was lunchtime. The Hungry Howie's was right next door, and I'm sure high noon is a busy time for them. There were people at the pizza shop, the T-Mobile, driving up and down the road, but for all the people out and about, seemingly no one had seen anything that alarmed them. Chelsea herself had triggered the alarm. If anyone reported anything suspicious, police haven't made that detail public, or that person hasn't come forward. It seems that this guy was able to get in and out without being detected. In the aftermath of such a cold, calculated murder, the community came together to find Chelsea's killer. Advanced America donated $50,000 in reward money and the Taylor police released images and video of the perpetrator. The footage wasn't exactly crystal clear, but from it, police were able to determine that the killer was a white male. Approximately 5'10 with a stocky build, weighing around 200 pounds, between 35 and 50 years old. He had dark bushy hair and was wearing a ball cap with an emblem on the front. Investigators were hopeful that his work-type clothing would make him easily recognizable. On one side of his pants, you can see a white or really light-colored tag, like they were some sort of work pants where if you worked at a business that issued pants for employees, they had their tag number on it for dry cleaning purposes or something like that. Or at least investigators thought that was one possibility. After the stills from the video were released, tips did come in, hundreds of them. But unfortunately, none of them led to Chelsea's killer. The days turned into weeks, the weeks into months, and the months into years. Chelsea's family and the Taylor police pled for someone out there who knew this guy to come forward. But no one did. Four years passed and Chelsea's case had gone cold. In hopes of generating new information, Taylor police released a key detail of the case that they had previously kept from the public. That key evidence? The killer had used a 45 caliber semi-automatic handgun with a silencer or suppressor attached. 
A gun silencer or suppressor is an attachment for firearms that reduces the noise when a gun is fired. It's designed to muffle the sound of the gunshot, making it quieter compared to an unsuppressed firearm. They're typically made of steel, aluminum, or titanium, and most suppressors have a threaded mount or quick-attach system to secure them to the firearm's muzzle. Generally, a suppressor drops the sound level by around 25 to 30 decibels. It doesn't silence the gun completely like in the movies, but it does muffle the sound. Despite popular belief, in the U.S., silencers are legal to own in 42 states, though they are heavily regulated. According to the ATF, in order to purchase a suppressor, you must first legally be able to own a firearm per state and federal requirements, pass an ATF background check complete with fingerprints, pay a $200 transfer tax, and register the silencer. The process takes anywhere between five months to a year and has to be done for each silencer you purchase. Surprisingly enough, silencers are pretty commonly used as a form of hearing protection for hunters and sportsmen. The total number registered with the ATF in 2021 was roughly 2.6 million, and ownership has been on the rise over the past several years. What is rare is that a silencer is used during the commission of a crime. How rare depends on who you ask. Impartial research on this particular subject was hard to come by, but I did find a 2017 report from the ATF that stated that they had recommended the prosecution of suppressor-related crimes 44 times per year over the last decade. And when I dug a little deeper, I found that many of those prosecutions were due to illegal transfers or possessions. It's unclear exactly how many of those prosecutions involved a violent crime. The fact that a silencer was used in Chelsea's case was definitely something that stuck with the investigators, because it was something they had never seen before. It was a key piece of evidence they kept close to the vest at first. But after four years with no arrest in the case, they made this detail public, hoping it would spark someone's memory and bring in new tips. At the time, investigators and Chelsea's family sat down with Crime Watch Daily and revealed their thoughts on the case. Chelsea's mom, Debbie, said that from the beginning, she felt as if Chelsea knew her killer in some way. Debbie stated to the outlet, My personal gut as her mom and from day one, I still believe that she knew him or at least knew him through work. Chelsea's stepsister, Mandy, added, I think she knew of him enough or his face enough to not hesitate when she buzzed the buzzer to buzz him in. Debbie went on to explain that in the past, if Chelsea had any hesitation about letting a customer in, she called her mom and kept her on the line while the customer was in the store. But Chelsea never hesitated that day. After a quick glance up, she buzzed the man in. Had she recognized him as a previous customer? Had she seen him around at the Hungry Howie's next door or the T-Mobile? The former lead investigator on the case, Stephen Schwein, thought that could be a possibility. He stated to Crime Watch Daily. I think it's reasonable to think that she would be familiar with him, especially from a business standpoint. But for all the time that had passed and even as the case had changed hands due to Schwein's retirement, the former and current lead investigators hadn't definitively settled on a motive. Was Chelsea's murder a robbery gone wrong or had she been targeted? The use of a silencer in the callous way in which the killer had shot Chelsea and then calmly walked through the business before making his exit had the current lead detective, Eric Jones, thinking that Chelsea or someone at the Advance America could have been the target and the perpetrator could have been a hitman. It seemed unlikely, though, since Chelsea had no known enemies and nothing in her background indicated that anyone would have wanted to harm her, but they just couldn't rule it out. 
If Chelsea wasn't a target, then the motive would have been robbery. And that's what investigators were leaning more towards. But if robbery was a motive, why had the perpetrator shot Chelsea not once but twice? Why had he stood over her and shot her a second time? He had to have known he was on surveillance and the camera was going to be an eyewitness. Did he realize she had triggered the silent alarm and that angered him? Or did he know that she recognized him and would be able to identify him? They weren't sure. Retired detective Stephen Schwein told the outlet, I'm usually pretty good at getting off the fence and picking one side or the other, and it's tough for me to stop straddling the fence. But as I said, they were leaning more towards this being a robbery, an unusual one, but a robbery nonetheless. And the use of the silencer did give them something they felt concrete about, and that was that the killer was familiar with weapons. They theorized that he probably at least owned several, and had either frequented, worked at, or been around a gun range. With an audience as big as Crime Watch Daily, after the piece aired, tips came in, but none of them led to Chelsea's killer and the search went cold again. Two more years passed, which brings us to 2019. ABC7 News Detroit reported that students in a criminal investigations class at Concordia University in Ann Arbor were assigned to dig into Chelsea's case. It all started when a student, Dakota Bostic, who was a former intern at the Taylor Police Department, brought the case to his professor's attention. Dakota told ABC7, I instantly knew from seeing it during the internship, just passing by the boxes of material they have, I was definitely going to bring it up to the class. And he was in the right class. Concord University professor Frank Rubino was a former cop. Rubino assigned the cold case to his students and they spent the fall semester conducting interviews with police and searching the internet for crimes where suppressors were used or where they were stolen. And that's when they found something. Six months before Chelsea's murder, there had been a burglary at a local gun store in the nearby town of Jackson, Michigan. According to the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, or ATF, on May 8, 2013, an unknown white male entered Shuppick Sporting Goods at approximately 4.30 p.m. The man hid inside the building and the store closed. After closing, he came out of his hidey hole and stole two firearms and 15 silencers. To date, those two firearms and 15 silencers have never been recovered. Shuppick Sporting Goods is roughly 66 miles or an hour drive from the Advanced America where Chelsea worked. What's even more interesting is that the man captured on video inside the Sporting Goods store looks a hell of a lot like the killer captured on video inside the Advanced America. The man in the gun burglary is wearing dark pants, what appears to be light-colored boots, a dark-colored shirt, and his hair is dark brown and around the same length as the killer's. His build and the way he carries himself appears to be similar too. And further than that, one of the silencers stolen was for a 45, the same caliber as the gun used in Chelsea's murder. Of course, Professor Frank Rubino presented what his students had found to the police. By this point, the case had changed hands again, and a new detective had taken over as lead investigator. The professor spoke with Detective Joshua Snyder, and Snyder revealed that this piece of information wasn't new to the investigation. The Taylor police had known about the burglary and the similarities between the two men a month into the investigation. And he agreed that the man from the gun store burglary needed to be identified because he might be connected. 
DATF seems to agree as well. Their press release from 2019 about the Shup Exporting Goods burglary states that the individual may be a suspect in another unrelated crime. Two questions. If Taylor police knew a month into the investigation, why wasn't this individual's photo plastered everywhere? And if the ATF believe the cases could have been connected, why was this press release issued in 2019 after the students had brought this to the attention of the Taylor police? To be honest, I had to do some digging to find the release by the ATF and the photos of the gun store burglary. That shit should be everywhere. At the very least, if this guy is identified, a gun thief is off the streets. A gun thief with really bad intentions, because I can't think of a good reason to steal a silencer, let alone 15, especially considering the penalties. There are harsh consequences to not having gone the proper route to obtain a silencer. We're talking like 30 years. So at the least, a bad guy is off the streets, and this could lead to solving a murder case and taking a really, really bad guy down. Seems like a win-win to me. Chelsea's family was grateful that the students had devoted their time to trying to get justice. Her mom, Debbie, said, Anytime anybody has stepped up to benefit our family, it's not taken lightly. We take it to heart. We're very much thankful. Though they're thankful, there's nothing more Chelsea's family wants than justice. Chelsea Small's children have been forced to grow up without their mom, a mom who loved them and devoted her life to making their lives better. Debbie has had to live her life without her daughter, her sisters without their best friend. Rick lost the mother of his children, and countless others lost a co-worker, friend, cousin, and the list goes on. November 12, 2023 marked 10 years a decade without Chelsea. On the anniversary of her death, a press conference was held to announce that Crime Stoppers had increased the reward for information leading to her killer to $55,000. And as they had done so many times before, her family pled for someone to come forward with information. I'm begging you, please, please. It's been 10 years. We have been stuck in 2013 while life has continued to go on. I want people to watch that video, and if you have to watch it a hundred times, somebody knows something, this family needs closure, and we would like to be able to move on from all of this. Detectives that had worked Chelsea's case over the years were also at the press conference, including the original lead detective, Stephen Schwein, who, though he had retired, still volunteered his time to investigate leads on Chelsea's case. It was clear that Chelsea's case and the length of time it remained unsolved had taken its toll not only on her family, but also Detective Schwein. He stated, You can't help but take it personal. You can't help but feel an overwhelming responsibility to provide that closure they deserve. Chelsea Small deserves justice. She went to work that day and was just there doing her job. She wasn't even supposed to be there. She had done what any good mama does and switched her schedule around to make her son's birthday special. She was working hard to put food on the table for her babies and going to school to provide a better life for them. She was excelling in school, on the dean's list, and well on her way to building a better life for herself and her two children. And all that was taken away in 60 seconds. Chelsea's murder was cold, callous, and completely senseless. Her life was taken for what, $200? Two babies lost their mother for a couple hundred bucks. 
Someone out there knows who this monster is and it's beyond time to come forward. It's been far too long. Let's go over one more time what we know about the perpetrator. He's a white male between the ages of 35 and 50 at the time he committed the crime. He's about 5 foot 10 and roughly 200 pounds. He has longer, shaggy, dark brown hair, a stocky build, and is likely familiar with firearms. He wore what appeared to be work-style clothes with a light or white emblem on a dark-colored hat and dark-colored pants with some sort of small light-colored tag. Investigators, of course, think it could be a dry-cleaning tag or an employee identifier. He also wore light camel-colored work boots. If you have any information about the murder of Chelsea Small, no matter how insignificant you think it is, call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-SPEAK-UP. Your tip will be anonymous, and if it leads to an arrest, you'll be $55,000 richer and take a dirt bag off the street. With all the time that has passed, this guy could be anywhere, so make sure to take a look no matter where you're from. Also, be sure to take a look at the photos of the man who robbed the gun store. Those photos are more clear, and he wasn't wearing a hat at the time. If you have any information, call the ATF at 1-800-ATF-GUNS. And while you're at it, go ahead and call Crime Stoppers too. I'll be sure to post photos and links to the videos on my social media accounts. That, my friends, is all for this week. I'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode, so make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button if you haven't already so you don't miss it. In the meantime, you can find me on Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these podcast. And if you're sick of ad interruptions, I've got good news for you. You can get all your episodes ad free just the way you like them for just $2 a month. And as a member of Patreon, you'll be the first to be notified when new tiers will be launched with exclusive episodes and a few bonus surprises. Head on over to patreon.com slash least of these to support the show today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, for the love of God, say something. And until next time, be good to each other. thought the episode was over, didn't you? Not yet. Because at the request of the one and only Heather Ashley at Big Mad True Crime and all you crazies in the BMTC Facebook group, we're gonna try something new. Yep, you're getting your hot take right about now. But before we kick it off, I've got a little bit of a disclaimer. I try my very best to leave my opinions out of the show. I'm mostly successful with that. I leave them out because I just figure opinions are like assholes. Everybody has at least one. Some of us more than others, but who's counting? I figure y'all are smart and capable enough. I don't need to push my opinions. I want you to decide for yourself how you feel about things. But I've got opinions, plenty of them, and several little birdies told me they wanted to hear them. If you don't, get out now while you still can. On a real note, that's why these hot takes will be at the end after the actual episode is over. It's up to you whether you want to hear it or not. 
I can tell you from the jump, you might not always agree with my take on things. And that's more than okay. I'll still love you. And I'd love to hear what you think. This will be the one and only time I have a long-ass disclaimer. If you find yourself mad over a hot take, please refer back to this episode. Who am I kidding, though? Y'all are the best. But you know, there's always one. If that's you, feel free to exit stage left. Okay, it's just us now. Cool. Let's get to our very first hot take. Chelsea's case is absolutely infuriating. Police have surveillance of the entire murder from beginning to end, but the killer remains free. I'm not sure I've ever seen a more chilling clip of video. Chelsea was shot seconds after she buzzed him in, and she triggered the silent alarm just before he pulled out the gun. Something tipped her off. Probably a demand for money. Like a few of the detectives that have worked the case, I'm on the fence about the motive. I can't really see a hitman situation because no one in her life knew of any issues with anyone. At least not any issues that would make someone angry enough to want her dead. I can see a situation where a customer maybe was denied a loan and was angry and maybe her mom was right. She knew the man that way, through work. But if he was a disgruntled customer, wouldn't she have hesitated to let him in? Probably, but what if Chelsea didn't know just how angry he was? That's completely possible too. Or maybe someone else was supposed to be the target. Chelsea wasn't scheduled to work that day, but someone else was. Even though I can't completely rule out the other theories in my head, I do lean far more towards the motive being robbery. I'm stuck on that silencer, and maybe not in the way many others are. I read articles that referred to this monster as a sophisticated killer and made him out to be like a Hans Gruber. Is it Gruber or Grober? Anyway, you know, the bad guy from Die Hard? Like he was a hired assassin or super intelligent criminal, mostly due to the silencer being used. But I don't see that at all. This greasy sea urchin got lucky. He wasn't sophisticated, he was brazen, and there's a huge difference. It doesn't take a rocket surgeon or someone with extensive gun knowledge. A little knowledge, yeah, but you don't have to be a genius to install a suppressor on most firearms. Some guns have threaded barrels, and in that case, you literally just screw the suppressor on. You can take a gun to a gunsmith and have them thread the barrel for you, buy a kit, or use an adapter. It's really not that hard. It can get expensive, but not if you steal 15 of them. Which brings us to the gun store robbery. I do think the robbery of the gun store is connected. Make sure you pull the pictures up side by side and take a good gander. The hair is about the same. The build is the same. This guy has scrawny ass pencil stick chicken legs, a large stomach and torso, and he's kind of hunched over. Like he and Quasimodo could look each other eye to eye, but Quasimodo would never associate with such trash. I feel bad for even bringing him into this. I'm sorry, Quasi. And then there's the boots. They look the same to me. I'm not sure why there hasn't been a big media push to get the photos from the gun store burglary out there. Because if this isn't the guy, they have to at least be related. There's a strikingly similar looks and the fact that silencers were stolen and a silencer was used. A 45 caliber pistol is pretty common, but silencers being used during a murder isn't. So what are the odds that a silencer for a 45 was stolen six months prior at a store an hour away, and the same type of silencer was used in the murder? I mean, the odds are never zero, but that's a lot for it all to be a coincidence. 
It doesn't take a sophisticated person to hide out in a gun store and wait for them to close and then pop out, grab what you want, and run out the door. It was a mom and pop gun store. I don't know if you've ever been in one, but I have, and generally their best security is that they're all heavily armed. Sure, they have security cameras, but that's not what stops most people from robbing the place. It's the pistol strapped to the owner's hip or the loaded shotgun always at arm's reach. Or Uncle Joe in the back fixing Scooter's trigger, who can shoot the hair off a frog after seven shots and a case of beer. Is it brazen to steal from a gun store? Absolutely. Sophisticated? Meh, not so much. He hid out until everyone left like a creep. When it comes to Chelsea's murder, it wasn't exactly sophisticated either. Again, it's all captured on video. It was the middle of the day on a busy road in broad daylight. Anyone could have spotted him. And he only made off with a couple hundred bucks. I don't think a sophisticated robber would target and advance America. They don't tend to keep a ton of cash just laying around. Some cash, sure. But is it enough cash to risk your freedom? It was brazen, but maybe even more than that, it seems desperate. Maybe he was desperate for money. Why, I couldn't tell you. But I can tell you that he walked in that place with a purpose. Albeit a horrific one. It was a blitz attack. He murdered Chelsea, calmly got the money, and then went right back out. He never hesitated or seemed nervous. Besides throwing a hat on, he didn't really try to conceal his identity. He didn't seem concerned with the cameras or rushed at all. I'm shocked that this monster hasn't been caught. His build stands out. The way he carries himself stands out. People don't live in a vacuum, so somebody out there knows who this guy is. Maybe his photos just haven't landed in the right hands yet. And maybe that's because there's not many of the right hands for them to land in. I'm no criminal profiler, so take this with an ocean of salt. But I think it's possible we're looking for a basement dweller, incel type of guy. One who doesn't have many connections or friends. Maybe online, but not in the real world. Someone who spends their time hidden behind a screen who doesn't get much fresh air or sunlight. Maybe I'm wrong or maybe I'm not. Either way, there has to be someone out there that knows this slimy shrimp shit. And eventually, that surveillance video will end up in their hands and I seriously cannot wait for that to happen. $55,000 is a lot of money. Somebody's gonna drop that name and collect that bag. I just hope it's sooner than later. And with that, you have officially made it to the end of our very first hot take. There's no prize or nothing cool, but I sure do appreciate you sticking around. It would kind of be awkward if I were just here ranting to myself. I mean, I do that all the time, but I usually don't record it. I hope you know how much it means to me that y'all tune in every week and care so much about the victims and the cases we cover. It really does mean the world. I'm not really sure how to end this since I already did my whole sign-off thing. Uh, okay. I'm just gonna stop talking now. Love you more than my luggage. Bye, boo thing!